From the Financial Times in London, I'm Sarah Gordon, the FT's business editor. How to respond to and engage with commenters is an important topic for journalists here at the FT. How should we engage with readers who bother to comment on our articles? And should we treat sexist comments like we treat racist comments and simply delete them? Even if our readers' views offend us, shouldn't we nevertheless respond? I've gathered a group of my colleagues together to discuss our thinking on how we might change the way we deal with commenters. Andrew Hill is our management editor, Lila Raptopoulos helps moderate our comments in the audience engagement team, and Sarah O'Connor is our employment correspondent. First, a bit of background. This week I wrote a column on the comments I and other FT journalists receive on articles where we write about gender and diversity in the workplace. Some months ago, Andrew received a comment on one of his columns which suggested that male writers on this topic receive more constructive and serious comments than female writers. This led me to re-examine the comments on some of my pieces, as well as my decision not to respond to them. That decision was taken in part because of the offensive nature of some of the comments which my writing attracts. To give some examples, the idea that women are as fit as men to make business decisions has never been proved. Intelligent people tend to be men. Standards have collapsed at the FT. (laughs) Since I posted the column, it's received nearly 300 comments, some of which I have responded to, and many, indeed most, I would say, are constructive contributions to the debate. I'm just going to quickly share one of my favourite of the responses so far, which was from a woman who shared her experience of commenting on articles. And she wrote to me saying... A couple of years ago, I began commenting using the name Nina Guinness. However, I began to notice that I got odd responses from other commenters, not usually nasty, but more in the sense of being condescending or dismissive. So, in an attempt to be taken more seriously, I switched to Nicholas Jack. He gets many, many more recommends than Nina did, especially when commenting on political and specialist financial matters. Now, Sarah, I know you've been on the receiving end of a certain amount of flack when you write about diversity. And indeed, you and I have a favourite emailer on this topic who wrote to you recently, I'm 50 years older than you. I shall explain a few things to you. A normal woman is not interested in philosophy, politics, economics, the building of society. Do you feel that your writing on this topic does attract unreasonably sexist reactions? And how do you deal with your commenters? Yeah, the... um that particular emailer who I know that we've both heard from is a kind of extreme case, but actually it's surprising how many people, even in the online comments that everyone can read, will say quite similar things. And I sort of, I go to and fro on on how I feel about it and whether I want to try and respond to them or not. I did try on a recent column that I wrote about the gender pay gap, looking at some recent research that showed within the academics in the London School of Economics even when you control for job performance, women of the same age, tenure, job performance were still being paid less. One of the most recommended comments read, Dear God, when will this bleating about the pay gap end? Men are more exceptional than women. Uh, and carried on in, in that vein. Um, so, I, so I tried to respond to him and I said, Hi, Chris. Uh, the point here is that the study controlled for performance, so these are equally exceptional people being paid differently. 
But actually, I mean, he did respond again, but with no recognition of what I had said and simply more of the same. Take a look around you, honestly, and using nothing more than common sense, figure out the ratio of exceptional men to exceptional women that you see. Uh, Setting aside the fact that I am surrounded by exceptional women, (laughs) including you, Sarah, where I sit, it just kind of left me frustrated. And I thought, actually, what is the point in responding to people who I'm not going to change his mind and he's not going to change my mind. So actually, I've got better things to do probably than fighting this battle which I sadly wish had been won a long time ago Mm. which is not of course the message we get from our audience engagement team who very much wants us to engage more with our readers Andrew I mean given that it was the comment on your column that in a sense got this debate started I mean do you think that your writing on diversity attracts a higher quality of comment than it would if it was written by a woman it's hard to generalize I mean I've been writing about this for a while not all the articles that I've written have had comments on them in abundance to be able to judge. And I do get a fair amount of the same sorts of comments that you and Sarah have both been discussing. I mean, I do tend to dive in on this topic and other topics to address questions when I think they've been raised to cite other data and so on. And I think that does potentially calm down the discussion a little. But I think this topic does get people fired up. I think in general, compared with the comments on yours or Sarah's or other articles written by female colleagues, there probably is a little bit more of a kind of measured debate undermined. But the same people, some of them are exactly the same people, and certainly the same types of people do tend to dive in to to criticise the fact that we're even writing about these topics, which is what really riles me. I wonder, Andrew, whether even if you and I received the exact same comment, I might take it a bit more personally simply because I am a woman. So it's, it's kind of harder to read someone say women are fundamentally more stupid than men when you happen to be a woman. That's certainly true. And I would say that I personally had not considered the possibility that there was a difference between comments on articles on this topic written by men and comments on the same topic written by women until that commenter had posted her, I assume it was a her, Uh, observation. Although I very much liked your suggestion when we were discussing this of the only way to test for this is to write your same column but put a female's name at the top, Andrea Hill. We look forward to welcoming you to the (laughs) FT columnist. We have to do what I think is known as AB testing on this. Yeah. (laughs) Lila, I mean I know that your team and you in particular think a lot about the most appropriate way to respond to commenters. What's your current thinking on how to deal with sexist comments? I mean, shouldn't we allow our readers to offend if that's part of a valid debate? Yeah, it's a fine line and it's something that I struggle with. First, I just want to start with a few things we know about commenters. We don't know the gender of our readers because we allow them to be anonymous. But a recent study done over 15 major news sites shows that common threads are overwhelmingly dominated by men as much as 80%. So they're even male-dominated on sites like the Daily Mail, which kind of skew female. But also the reason we care at all is because we think that our readers are smart and interesting people, and often they do make valuable contributions to our journalism. We also know they pay a lot for their subscriptions, and our commenters are the most engaged users on the FT by a long shot. So in terms of how we deal with sexist comments, there are different styles of sexist comments, and they kind of deserve different treatment, and this is where it gets tricky. One is the comment that directly and obviously demeans women or puts the reporter down, and our moderators try to delete those. So that's things like, this is a real one, more PC socialism rubbish. Why should companies fill their boards with token women who aren't up to it? That was on one of mine, wasn't it? That was on one of yours. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but then there's a type of comment that rides this ambiguous line. So there's a few examples on your thread, just this most recent one. One being, I find the current stream of attacks on men under the guise of equality dangerous. The reality is that men under 30 have had it far worse than women since they were born, under metrics from health to pay. Equality is not promoting one gender over the other, and it will not be achieved by punishing today's men for the mistakes of the past. And the other is fiscally, women are a much greater burden on society. Added up across a lifetime, they are in perpetual deficit, i.e. they pay far less than they take out of the system. Talk about fairness then, Sarah, when you recognize single white guys are shouldering much of the burden of your biology. Okay, so they're undeniably sexist comments, both of them, but the commenters really believe it, and they're calmly stating their kind of sexist belief. So it's tough because moderators can't really justify deleting them because to yell sort of you're sexist and then make this what seems to be a commonly held prejudice disappear will alienate the person and the people who agree. But in the past, we've just left it there to stew among other similar comments. And then that just encourages those who agree to chime in. And those who know it's wrong don't want to jump in because it's become kind of a shark tank. I mean, I certainly thought on the first of those comments that men under 30 had it far worse than women, that the correct response in that situation was for me as the journalist to jump in. And I mean, I get a lot of these comments that suggest that by benefiting women in the corporate sphere, you are in some way disadvantaging men, or indeed that preferential treatment of any kind to any group necessarily disadvantages another group, which of course is simply not true. And I think to have responded like that, I mean, I have found with the 300 comments on that column that I literally haven't had time to respond. But I think the conclusion that I've reached after the very interesting discussions I've had both with colleagues and with FT readers in the last week or so on this, that certainly more engagement from the FT is the answer. And I have one very specific suggestion, which is I think we should really have a good think about whether anonymous commenting is allowable, because I think it's very noticeable on my writing that where people are using their real name, the quality of the comment, whether disagreeing or agreeing with what I've written, is higher. Interesting. So I agree very much that that's where it's our job to do a better job creating an environment by jumping in where readers will feel comfortable responding to sexist comments, because that's big picture what changes minds. About anonymous comments, we've thought about this and we've looked at news organizations who have done it, like the Huffington Post. And in fact, research shows that often the problem doesn't go away when you force people to use their real names. It's called the online disinhibition effect, that the screen itself like reduces or removes the social restrictions or inhibitions you'd feel in real life. So even on Twitter or Facebook, you'll see that people will be uncivil with their name attached. So that's sort of the downside of it. If indeed it was the case that the civility did improve, the other thing that we'd lose is the fact that pseudonyms give our readers a level of protection and freedom to share good things like political opinions, personal experiences, professional insights that if written under their real names would come back to bite them. You want to be certain that when you're writing about other workplace issues, you are getting feedback from people who are affected in the workplace. Emma Jacobs, our colleague, wrote about shared parental leave. And there were some very interesting insights that emerged through the comments from men complaining that they had been discriminated against or feared being discriminated against for taking shared parental leave. And they would not have come out, I don't think, if they had been had forced had to, to use say their that own they name. were. Yeah. 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 I, I quite often get reporting leads from people who've commented on my story to say, listen, I used to work in X company and this was my experience and that can be incredibly useful and I guess we don't want to stop that altogether. 
But it is, I mean, this question of how do you deal with people who are both valuable customers and insulting you is is a difficult one, right? I mean, where is your thinking on what we should do, you know, about these ones that can't really delete them, but at the same time, it clearly creates an atmosphere that is off-putting to lots of people and particularly to women. This morning, I was just reading through a bunch of comments under one of my articles about gender. And I think if I was just any FT reader who was a woman reading this, I would think this doesn't feel like the place for me. You know, this feels like a place that is extremely male and slightly hostile. And I don't want to get involved. I don't want to comment. And maybe I don't even want to subscribe. So I think my one practical suggestion of getting rid of anonymity clearly just isn't a practical (laughs) suggestion. So my only one I'm left to is, is for us to engage more. Thank you all very much for contributing. And all I can say to our readers and subscribers listening is please do let us know your views and do keep commenting. Thank you very much. (laughs) 